It was June, and it was the summer before my first year at the Divinity School at Duke University. And because that uh, I wanted to pastor two churches uh, while I was at Duke, uh, and I was not ordained yet, um, the Methodist Church required that you do a course's study over the summer to prepare you for that pastorate before going to seminary. And so there were 13 of us that spent that June together. They put us up in the dorms at uh, the university. And, you know, when you spend basically 24-7 with anyone, you get to kind of know them. You get to know their stories because you're eating with them. Uh, you're in class with them. Uh, we didn't get to go home on the weekends because we just went straight on through. We would worship on Sundays, but we spent that time together. And so um, there was this one guy. His name was Harold, but I'm going to spare uh, his last name uh, just for his privacy. Uh, Harold was in his 40s, and um, he had lived a rough life. Um, from the age of a teenager, uh, broken home, uh, drugs and alcohol, alcohol became his vice, alcohol became his crutch. Uh, in fact, uh, he became an alcoholic. But God, as Harold surrendered to him, took that from him and called him to be a pastor of a small rural church outside of Rockingham, North Carolina. And so I got to know Harold during those weeks that we spent together. The last day that we were together, we go into Duke Chapel. How many of you have been in the nice, big, fancy Duke Chapel? It's a beautiful place. It's a great place if you haven't been to go and just sit and, uh, and just... Feel God's presence. God is present in a number of places, but I've, I've felt God's presence moving in that place. And so we gathered for worship. We were going to get these certificates at the end of the service. We had invited family and people from the congregations that we were going to serve came into that space, and we worshiped together. And one of the last things that we did together was have communion. Now, one of the professors was an Episcopal priest, and he led our communion time. Now, if you know anything about the Episcopal Church, it's much like the Catholic Church in the formalities, in the, the high church uh, liturgy, and in the way that they do communion. And so we came forward, we knelt at the altar rail, a little different than what the Catholics do, but we knelt at the altar rail, and the priest came by, and you were to stick out your tongue, he would put the wafer on your tongue, you would take that, and then he took the chalice, and he would tip the chalice, and you would drink from it, and he would take a, a, a cloth napkin and, and just wipe the edge of that chalice before he went to the next person. And so that's the way we took communion. Harold was next to me. And the priest came down the line. Harold took communion. And I watched as tears began to flow down Harold's face. And I thought, man, he was really moved by 
communion together. As we returned to our seat, all of us went into the aisle where we were, had been sitting, and Harold just kept booking it. He went out the, the front doors, the back of the church, but the front doors of the church, and I sat down, and I thought, there's something. I, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, you need to go. You, you need to get up and go out and check on Harold. And I went out, and he was sitting to the left, as you go out the doors, that was the side the Divinity School is on. The doors to the Divinity School are on the, the left-hand side as you go out of the chapel. And he was sitting there on the steps, and he was bent over, and he was sobbing. And I went over, and I put my arm around him, and I said, Brother, what's, what's wrong? He said, Marty, I just broke my vow to the Lord. When the Lord took alcohol away from me and blessed me with salvation in Jesus Christ, I made a promise that day that I would never have alcohol touch my lips again. And I just broke that promise. You see, in the chalice was real wine. He was broken. Was it okay for that priest to serve that wine? Was it against the law? Was No. Was it against the church? No. Did he have a right to use that wine in communion? Yes. But because of that liberty, he caused one man to stumble one man in his mind had broke a promise so how do we live with the liberties that God has given us how do we live with those liberties that God has given us when there is freedom to do that well, as we get into this latter part of chapter 14 and next week as we look at chapter 15, Paul will give us some understanding of how to live with Christian liberties. How, to, how do we manage this as a follower of Jesus Christ? And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're in chapter 14, and I'll be reading verses 13 through 23 toward the end of the chapter there. So hear this God's word. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, rather, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in your brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food, your food uh, him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing 
be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he, for he who is this way serves Christ, is acceptable to God, and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is, not, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you hold for us. Through this, your holy word, we pray this in your name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, in his coming, in his living, in his dying and being raised again, ascending to heaven and being seated at the right hand of God the Father, has given us freedoms. We have these freedoms in the New Testament. He has more importantly freed us from the penalty of sin and death, and he has given us freedom from eternal damnation. But as Christians, we are also freed from the incumbences of dietary laws, Circum, uh, or ceremonial laws and dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. And so apart from sin, these freedoms are good. These are good for us. They're gracious as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But although they are permitted and although they are freedoms that we have, these Christian liberties, they are not commands for us to, to do them. They, we are not obligated to exercise every freedom, every liberty that we have in Christ. In fact, as you live out this mature life, as you grow in your faith, what you will find is as you grow in your love for God and your love for fellow man, as you grow spiritually in your walk, you will actually see that these, you will begin to relinquish some of these Christian liberties, these things that you're free to do, but you see that they are not beneficial for your life. They're not beneficial for your witness to God. There are those that are weak in the faith, Paul says, and they are still shackled in their mind by some of these ceremonial laws, dietary restrictions, some of these Christian liberties that they have, they see them and they are affected by them. And especially when someone that they love or someone within the fellowship of the church begins to experience or exercise. 
Now, please hear me. As I said last week, I am not talking about doctrinal truths. I'm not talking about moral standards that God has given us that are truths that when you break them, that you are sinning against God. That is not what we are talking about last week or this week. Those are truths. Those are doctrinal, doctrinal truths that we hold and we stand on. And when we correct and discipline in them, we do so in love. But we have these freedoms, these things that are good for us, that we enjoy, that are not always beneficial to our fellow man in the church and outside of the church. Now, some of you are already in your mind thinking, oh, wait a minute, Marty. What are you saying? I've got a right to do these things. They're not a sin. I'm not sinning against God. I've got a right to enjoy them. God has allowed me to receive them these Christian liberties that aren't sinful in any way? If someone doesn't want to get on board with my rights, then they can get off the train. But I'm going to live my life rightly the way I see it. Well, Paul will tell us, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our Christian liberty is vertical. Is first vertical before the Lord. And because it is vertical before the Lord, the exercise of those liberties are horizontal because of how it's seen by or affects others. And so we may have a right to do them, but God challenges us. God gives us an understanding of rightly living within the Christian liberties that he has given us, these freedoms that bring great satisfaction. In many cases, we enjoy them. But I will tell you, and you can try it, and when you try it, you'll come back and say, you were right, Marty. The more that you surrender some of the Christian liberties that are stumbling blocks that we'll talk about in a minute, some of those Christian liberties that cause your witness to, to be hindered, as you begin to set those things aside and focus on God vertically, you will begin to love differently horizontally. You will see those that are weak in the faith. You will see those outside of the church differently as you are concerned about how you are living, how you are exercising those Christian liberties. These habits of practice that we have, as I said, in and of itself are not sinful. But Paul reminds us that not all things are, you know, things are, are um, legal, things are uh, lawful, but not all things edify God. Not all things are beneficial in our walk with God. My mentor, as I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a teenager, my mentor was uh, my pastor, Warren Gentry. And 
uh, I did, I hung around with Preacher Gentry. Uh, he's the one that I uh, spent three different summers doing uh, EE, Evangelism Explosion, went to uh, Atlanta and uh, a number of places with him uh, being trained in uh, Evangelism Explosion. And um, one of the things that I remember uh, from him, as he told me as a teenager, he said, Marty, you have a lot of freedoms. You have a lot of freedoms. They're great and they're wonderful. They are things that are pleasing to you that God has given, but they're not always beneficial to others. You see, others, as they look at what you do, you can either witness for the Lord or you can hurt your witness for the Lord. Be careful, he said. You do not want your witness hurt, nor do you want to become a stumbling block for another. I've never forgotten those words. They're valuable. There are times when I realized that some of my actions were such that did not benefit others within the church and outside of the church. Now, in the society in which we live, the world in which we, we live, there are just a plethora of things that can consume our energy, that can consume our time, that can consume our finances. Some of those things can become immoral or ungodly, but there are those things that aren't. And we enjoy them, and they consume our time, and what happens to some, not all, but some, they become so prevalent and so accessible in their life that it begins to undermine their devotion, their walk with Christ. In fact, uh, it will bring you to a place where not all things are beneficial. Paul saw that for him, the supreme way for him to live was, he says, I want all things to be beneficial for the gospel. I want to point to the gospel in everything I do. You'd say, well, wait a minute, Marty. That's just not possible. I have a family. I have a job. I have things that I have to do. If you read Paul, you read his letters, you can't help but understand that God, through that inspired word, is telling us that as we surrender and as we mature in our faith, everything we do goes through the lens of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Bruce can't love Diane in the right way without going through the lens of his relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't love you without going through the lens of Jesus Christ rightly. And so your job your relationship with your family, your spouse, your children, your relationship with others in your neighborhoods, with your co-workers, are to go through the lens of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Both the weak and the strong are mutually obligated to walk this path in Christian liberty 
as Paul said earlier in this chapter, without judging, allowing God to be that judge, and also without causing offense. And that's tough. Again, we are not talking about the doctrinal truths. We are talking about those things that aren't mentioned in Scripture as wrong to participate in. And so as we look at these verses just for a few more minutes, I want us to see six things. Three of them are responsive to the church. In other words, how do we relate to those within the church, the body of Christ? The other three that I'll mention as the the last three deal with the church, but they also deal with our relationship out in the world. How do we relate with the lost? How do we relate with those that are outside of the faith? And so first, verse 13, how do we live in Christian liberty? Do not cause your brother or sister to stumble. Do not cause your brother or sister to stumble. That therefore in this text as it begins, verse 13, refers back to verses 10, 11, and 12 when we're told and reminded by Paul that God is the one that judges. God is the one that's qualified to judge, not us. He judges the minds and the hearts of his elect. What is interesting in this verse is that Paul uses this verb to judge two different ways. In the first phrase, let us not judge one another, it carries the idea of condemnation. It's the same verb that is used in verse 3, 4, and 10. Do not judge. Do not condemn one another. But that next phrase in the verb, it's not condemn, it's determine, which makes reference to making a decision. And here's Paul's play on words. He would say, never be judgmental of your fellow believer, but instead, using our best judgment, our best decision, don't be a stumbling block. Don't be an obstacle to their faith. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, take care lest this liberty, these liberties that we have, as he was talking about in that 8th chapter, lest these liberties of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. There are those in their following of Jesus Christ, they have not come to a place where they are strong enough in, in their faith that Christian liberties that we partake of can cause them to stumble, cause them to stumble. I'll go back to that story that I opened with. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. There are those that say, oh, wait a minute. There was no ferment wine that Jesus ever drank or anything. Wait a minute. Y'all are smarter than that. You you know John and the wedding of Cana of Galilee, and, and you know that Jesus turned the water into wine. And how do we know that that was fermented wine? How do we know that that was real wine, not just grape juice, which had not actually come along yet? And so we know because of the 
head of the wedding. The head of the wedding says, wow, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. Most people give the good wine at the beginning so that when everybody gets drunk, they don't care what the wine tastes like. But you've saved the best to the last. Jesus made the best wine. But it wasn't about the alcohol. It's not about the alcohol. It's about how, the alcohol, how, how you use that alcohol. The sin is being a drunkard. The sin is having alcohol control you. Alcohol being the Lord over your life. That's the sin. But here's the Christian liberty part. If you consuming alcohol causes your brother in the faith to stumble, you might want to reconsider. The communion steward that day, the professor, could have easily said before he served wine as communion juice that day, we're going to use real wine. If you want to partake of it, I just wanted to let you know. That would have been the way not to be the stumbling block for my friend Harold. He could have just not partaken. We need to think. Don't become a stumbling block to the weak, Paul says. Next, in verse 14 and through 15a, how do we live with this Christian liberty? Do not grieve your brother or your sister. This grieving is such as hurting now, we know that in Peter's vision in Acts 10, three times Peter declares that what God has cleansed is no longer considered unholy. And so these dietary laws that Paul is talking about, it, they're no longer in play. But we know through this passage, we know through other passages, where Paul says there are those that haven't come to the place that some have come. There are those that are still living with this understanding, I'm not going to eat pork, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to live into this particular freedom that I have because it's still an offense to me. They have not come to a place, an understanding, a maturity in their faith. And Paul says, what they see unclean, though it's clean, is still to them unclean. So let me give you another example. All of you have had friends that you've invited over. Maybe somebody that's moved into the neighborhood, a new neighbor, and you don't hesitate when you call that new neighbor and you say, hey, would y'all come over to the house? We'd love to feed you and get to know you. Just wanted to ask if, if you could come. Is there anything that um, you, know, you don't eat? Because we know, right? There are vegeta vegeta uh, vegetarians, thank you, I can get there, uh, vegans and, and others that don't eat. Or maybe they would say, hey, we are Jewish and we don't eat pork. We wouldn't think twice. Would you, would you have all of that stuff for your meal as they come into your house? No, you would ask first. Well, let me ask you this. 
What would be the problem with saying as you invite friends over, would you be offended if we uh, served drinks at our dinner? And what you're going to get is either, no, that would be great. Love to fellowship with you. We don't drink, but it's okay. Or you might get, no, we would prefer not to be you know, around alcohol. What is wrong? We ask all these other questions. Should we be a stumbling block for that person, like Harold? In what we eat, and he says what we drink in this text. And the answer is no. We need to walk according to the love that God has given us, this love in Christ Jesus. And then third, 15b, do not destroy your brother and sister. You say, well, a lot of these overlap, and they do. A lot of these pieces overlap, but as you look at this word destroy, you'd say, well, nobody's going to destroy that is really faithful in the faith. No one's going to destroy using Christian liberties. I read a story last week. Gotta love the church. Um, There's a church that was having a Christmas pageant for the children. And those that were leading and decorating for the pageant decided that in the play they would have a Christmas tree. And so they bought a Christmas tree and they began to decorate it on that Saturday. Well, there was a member of the church as she got wind that there was a Christmas tree in the sanctuary. She showed up that Saturday And as the children and the leaders were decorating the tree on stage, she went up, grabbed the tree, drug it down the aisle, and took it outside. The kids were destroyed, crying, upset. Now, the leaders, they went out, grabbed the tree, and brought it back in. Set it up. (laughs) Guess what? The lady came back in, grabbed the tree, and drug it back out. Is that not ridiculous? I mean, this is to the point of stupidity, right? I mean, there was nothing wrong with the tree in the sanctuary, and if you thought there was something wrong with it, I'm not sure. Okay, why didn't you work it out? Why didn't you sit down and have a conversation? This isn't about the Christmas tree. This is about a Christmas pageant that's going to depict the birth of Jesus Christ, and oh, by the way, it's going to have a setting in a home where there's a Christmas tree. We get so caught up, and we just shouldn't destroy one another. Bill Enns shared the story. He, the ministerial committee had to take original jurisdiction over a session of one of our churches uh, years ago in the PMA. And Bill was appointed, he was a member of the ministerial committee, and he was appointed as the moderator of that session. And so he went to that session meeting, the first session meeting he went to, there was conflict in the church, the church was divided, even the session was divided. And in that meeting, two elders got into a fistfight. Had to be separated in the meeting from literally hitting each other. Here's where someone was destroyed. 
He said three of the sitting elders, ordained elders in that church, that night turned in their resignation. They left the church. They didn't just leave and resign from being an elder. They resigned their membership, left the church. They were destroyed by what was going on. We can't do that. We just can't destroy one another. In fact, we know that in hatred, no one wins. The last three that Paul gives us in this text is about our relationship with one another here as the body of Christ as it comes to living these Christian liberties. But it's also about living in the world, the lost world. In verse 16 through 19, he reminds us, do not forfeit your witness. Do not forfeit your witness. Folks, whether you know it or not, people around you are looking at you. They're looking at how you live out your faith, how you walk with Christ, what you say and what you do. And you can't put your faith, your actions and your words on a shelf when you leave here today and just pick them back up off of that shelf when you leave your house next Sunday morning to come to worship. You can, absolutely, in Christian liberties that are okay, people are going to be looking at you within the church and outside of the church and how you exercise your faith with God. These Christian liberties can be good. You can be faithful. But your witness in the world can cause someone to stumble, to grieve, to be harmed. And in fact, if we allow it in some places in our life, actually can become evil. Paul cautions us. He says, don't let your Christian liberties forfeit your faith. Don't let them be an unnecessary offense to an unbeliever or a believer in the church. It's vital that we have unity within the church, but it's also vital that we live out our faith in a world so that others can see the living Christ in us. He gives us three attributes, characteristics of living out this faith of this faithful witness in Jesus Christ. And the first is righteousness. He says that righteousness in our daily living should always be precious. This righteousness that we exercise even in the liberties that we are to live in the righteousness of God. Philippians 1.11 says that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God and to the praise of God. Ephesians 6.14 reminds us that the breastplate of righteousness is ours in Jesus Christ. 
And so we are to live into the righteousness that God has called us to. And as we do, our faithful witness will not be forfeited. It actually will be lifted up. Secondly, he says, peace in the church. We should live in peace with one another, and we should live in peace with others that we are associated with, people that are around us. This is powerful. When we live in peace with one another, this peace is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. And as we are called to be at peace with one another, instead of fist fighting, when conflict comes, we are about a solution of peace, looking for a way to alleviate that conflict. Paul reminds us that in brotherly love, that we are to be diligent, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, perseverance in uh, tribulation, and we're to be devoted in prayer. We're to be contributing to the needs of the saints. We are to practice hospitality. These are the marks of peace that we have as we live with one another, whether it's with those in the world or those that may be weakened around us in their walk. How great it would be to offer that peace that would strengthen their walk with Jesus Christ. And then that third attribute is joy, Christian joy. And I will tell you that living into the Christian joy that only the Holy Spirit can give you is such a wonderful witness to the lost world because they don't understand how someone that is diagnosed with a a terminal disease or someone that has lost a loved one or that someone is living in the heartache of losing a, a child or a spouse, how in the midst of that grieving you can express joy in the Lord. They don't understand that. And what a great witness it is that as we share in the joy of the Lord, as we rejoice even in the midst of the trials and tribulation, as James tells us, the world, even the church, sees us differently. And folks, we are called to be different than the world. If your life doesn't look any different than the outside world, you need to take a look at your walk with Jesus Christ. The last two, verse 20 through 20, 20 and 21, reminds us, do not tear down the work of God. All are God's workmanship. God has created us into his image, and God has called us to himself. And those outside of the church, the non-believer, they too were created in his image. They may not have surrendered yet, And if you read scripture correctly, it says that Jesus came and died for all. Now, not all will be saved. Scripture is clear on that. But he died for all. And this is the workmanship that God has given us. And why in the world will we tear down the work of Jesus Christ? Why would we do that? Even in the the liberties that we have, 
when a weak brother or sister, when someone is outside of the faith? Why would we do things that would cause the work of Christ in them or the work that Christ is doing to try to win them? Why would we tear that apart? And then finally, in verses 22 and 3, Paul tells us, do not condemn or flaunt your Christian liberty. Now, that sounds like a, a crazy use of words, right? Do not condemn or flaunt. But it's exactly what he means. He, he means that we are not to condemn the Christian liberties that we have. We are not to, to say, hey, those are terrible, uh, belittle them. Oh, God shouldn't have given them. Don't condemn those Christian liberties. But in the same motion, he's saying, but also don't flaunt them. Don't hold them up and say, look what God has given me, and I've got that right to do it, and I don't care what you think. I don't care how it affects you. And so Paul reminds us that we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful in how we live out this faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, we have Christian liberties. We need to be careful, careful in how we exercise them. So there's a lot there. I would encourage you to read back through those verses today if you get a chance and just read them slowly and kind of let them sink in or take the back of your bulletin and just look through those points of what it takes, what we should live with, those do nots there in how we live with Christian liberties. But I will tell you, there's an easy way to remember. If you can't remember anything else this morning, there's an easy way to remember, and that is to love in all the ways that God loves you. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. But the second part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we as believers in Christ live into that liberty, that Christian liberty, if we will use the mantra, if we will use the lens of Jesus Christ and love others the way Christ has loved us, we will find that we will not be offensive. In fact, we will share in the love that God has given us with even people that look and think and act differently than we do. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy to live out the Christian liberties in this world. But here's the thing, and I'll close on this sentence. It's something that we all need to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for a reminder in this text as Paul is closing out this letter to the church at Rome. Father, he is reminding them that there are a lot of things that are good and there's a lot of things that we can do, but it may be some of those Christian liberties that we, we do at home and, and not be a stumbling block out in the community or with friends or neighbors. It, it may be something that the Holy Spirit is calling us to set aside. 
But Father, we pray that we would live into the love that you have given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we use Christ and the work and leaning and guiding of the Holy Spirit in what we do and how we live, Father, I, I, I truly believe that we won't be a stumbling block. Father, that uh, we won't grieve those that are around us. Uh, we won't destroy their walk. Our, our witness will be such that others can see and understand with these, Father, these righteousness and peace and joy that you give us through the Holy, Holy Spirit. Father, we do not want to tear down what you are building up. Never flaunting or condemning your graciousness. But living into the love that you have given us. May it be so, Father. If we are weak in our walk, may you strengthen us to maturity. If we are strong in our relationship with you, Father, may we look at what we're doing so that our witness would be wholesome and right and righteous and glorify you. Father, we pray this in your holy name. Amen.